What does your heart need today? Well, that, that's exactly what, you know, where I was at last night. Of course, so I'm just going to go where in the scripture I need, okay? And if you want to follow along, that's fine. And, and you know it very well. And there's no way I can do it justice, nor are many of these thoughts my own, okay? So I want to be very clear about that. But we're going to look at Psalm 23 together. Psalm 23. We're just going to walk through this passage this morning and look at this beautiful and really uh, comforting thought that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Many of these thoughts that I pulled from is, is from a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. If you do not have, it's really a booklet. It's a very easy reading. If you do not have that booklet, I highly recommend it. <clears throat> and it, can, it actually goes through this in much more detail than I'm able to do or remember. But I recommend A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And it's written by a guy who is a modern-day shepherd, but has also seen... Uh, the way shepherding is done uh, in the Middle East and African countries as well, which was very similar to how David even would have done it uh, thousands of years ago. And so he gives the insight on this psalm. Of course, this is a psalm written by King David. Now, we say King David, what we would more correctly say at this point, by Shepherd David. Who is David? Well, he's king of Israel, right? A man that God knew and loved and had a heart for God. A man who failed, right, but found forgiveness. But a man who was a shepherd, and he was from a family of shepherds. His dad was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And, and how are shepherds viewed? Well, start with this question. What do shepherds do? Sheep herder. What does that mean, though, in this time? A shepherd in the biblical time was one that didn't just have sheep. It's one who lived with the sheep. And so you're going to smell like a sheep. (laughs) You're going to know what a sheep is like. But you're going to have a very close relationship and fellowship with the sheep as well. And it's from that perspective, that imagery, that King David, Shepherd David, pulls from in this beautiful psalm that is well known But yet a great comfort to all who are part of the true fold of Christ. So as we come to Psalm 23, I'm going to read it out loud. Actually, I'm going to ask you to read it with me, even though it's very familiar. Just six verses. Psalm 23, we'll we'll begin now in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is a good and loving shepherd. So the psalmist, a shepherd, opens with the phrase, the Lord. Who is the Lord? This is God. This is Jehovah. 
This is the creator of the universe, the one who is over all. The one who made man out of the dust of the ground and spoke and man became a living soul. The one who made man, humankind, you and me, in his image. And part of that idea of an, of an image bearer of God is we actually reflect what we call the communicable attributes of God. And what are those simply? Well, it's, it's the attributes of God that we can actually reflect. Are there some attributes of God that we don't reflect? Absolutely. God is all-powerful. Are you all-powerful? Am I all-powerful? No. But God is also love. Can we be loving? Absolutely. And so part of being created in the image of God means that we reflect God's character. And it means then that we can actually have a relationship with him. And that's what Pastor Jeff's been preaching these past weeks, right? The nature of our relationship with God, how it is, it is sweet and special and intimate. And here in this opening phrase, it, it starts with who we'd, we should always start with, no matter what your story is. It starts with God. Even if you neglect him, even if you ignore him, even if you say he doesn't exist, he's still the creator. He's still the one overall. He is still the Lord. Whenever you see the Lord, this capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, this is referring to God's, really his Old Testament unique special name of what we'd say is Jehovah, or sometimes it's pronounced Yahweh, same name of God. And when was this given? Remember when this was given? It was revealed to Moses. And it was revealed to Moses at a time right after Moses was actually a shepherd, <laughs> actually wandering around in the wilderness, escaping Egypt because he had murdered a guy, right? And was dealing with all that. And he came to a burning bush, and there God revealed himself as the I am. I am. And Jesus calls himself that I am as well, right? Claiming equality with God. <laughs> the men, even the Pharisees, were going to stone him because of that. And it's this great I am that is revealed to us, that is the creator of all, the one that has always existed, I am, but yet the one who wants a relationship. So it goes on to say, the Lord is my shepherd. So God, who's everlasting, all-powerful, the creator of all, still wants and allows us to have that close and special relationship of a shepherd. My father-in-law actually is a shepherd. He's, he lives in Pennsylvania. That's where my wife is from. He knows way more about sheep than I ever will. He's had a lot of experience with them. They're right, of course, in the middle. It seems like it's always happening, but they're right in the middle of lambing season, which if you're a, a mom, you know, a, you know what newborns are like, right? There's no, no sleep, and you have to be out there, and you have to help them at all times. And there's many dangers that present itself for a sheep, right? Pennsylvania, there's snow. You actually, he actually leaves the, the ewes out in the field, because they get a little too skittish in the barn. So he has to leave them out there until they start to lamb. And then there's, a, there's a, usually a, a clock or a time that is starting ticking down before you get that mom and that lamb, or lambs in some cases, into the barn where it's warm and safe. And they have not just some of the coyotes that we'd have around here. They, they have some of those uh, mixtures that have 
crossbred with more aggressive wolves. I don't know if you've heard of those. I don't know exactly if there's a name for them. Those are not friendly to farm animals usually either. And so there's predators you have to protect them from. And then there's hardship, right? There's heartache. Why are you raising the, sh- the sheep as a shepherd? Well, in Old Testament times, it was for the same reasons. You needed it for your livelihood. But yet what happens? The sheep don't always make it, do they? And so the shepherd knows the ups and downs and the turmoils of that. So when David here is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, he's knowing all of the struggles really of the sheep and really what it takes to care for the sheep. So as we go through the psalm, it's the view of the sheep. It's the view of you and I. It's the view of anyone who has a relationship with God as they look at the Heavenly Father, as they look at the Lord, as they look at the great I am, the shepherd. So as we walk through this, let's all be sheep for a little bit, right? My father-in-law would strongly argue sheep are not dumb. No matter what people say, he says they're not dumb. They get that reputation, but they have their habits. They have, have the, the way they, they do things, but they know things too. They know how to protect themselves if needed at times. They know where uh, they need to go for food sometimes. <laughs> but yet there is, there is some care here. So I'm not going to come and say that we're all dumb like sheep. I'm just saying that there's a special relationship that the shepherd and the sheep have and that God wants with you. So even this very first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, begs the question of each heart here today or watching online, and that is, who is your shepherd? Who is the one that is in in charge, in control, leading your life? Who is the one that you look to for your substance, for your care, for your comfort in life? Who is your shepherd? Now, if you're, if you're a believer today, you, you'd say, well, I look at the unsaved world sometimes, and it, the answers to those questions that I just gave, a lot of times in the unbeliever's mind would be what? It would be self, right? I am my own shepherd. I can take care of myself. I can live this life on my own. I, after all, I'm strong and independent and have everything I need, right? So what happens when a sheep says that? I'm a strong, independent sheep. Some of them are going to make it, right? There's a, I, there was a news story recently. It's, it's this really gnarly sheep that's been out in the wilderness. And maybe some of you saw it. How many, it was, it was like 50 pounds of wool they had to cut off this thing. I don't know. It was a lot of wool. Yeah, 75. That's like all of my children combined plus some more. That's how much weight that this, the sheep that had gotten loose and it had been able to fend for itself, but yet very unkempt, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, you might say, I'm going to survive on my own. You might be able to make it for a while. But when it comes, as we'll see at the end of this psalm, to your eternal destiny, your eternal survivor, survival. Only the Lord can give us that. So who is your shepherd? For those of you as believers, you'd say, well, the Lord is, right? But are you listening to him? Or are you following him? Or sometimes the question simply is, are you trusting him? Are you leaning hard on him in hard times? Because it goes on to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he comes to the second phrase, 
I shall not want the audacity. How can you say that? How can you say I don't want or I don't have need of anything? In other words, if I were to go up to you today, or as several of you have done to me, either through a text or phone, and you said, Pastor Phil, do you need anything, right? I would say, yeah, there, there are things that we need, but we're still organizing or trying to get things in place, right? But if I were to ask you, are you without need today? Most, I think our answer would be, no, I'm not without need. There are things that I need, right? I need things to survive. I need a roof over my head. I need clothes. I need food. I need a job. Those are all, or as some source of income, those are all things I need. But yet, the sheep here looking at his heavenly shepherd is, is able to say, I shall not want. What does he mean by that? Well, the sheep realizes here that there is no lack of expert care and management. In other words, no matter where I'm going or what I am doing, I look at my shepherd and realize he is leading me and caring for me and managing my life in a way that I don't lack anything. I have complete confidence, in other words, in the shepherd. Wherever he takes me, whatever he does, however he chooses to care for me or provide for me in different sets of circumstances, I always trust him. There's not a lack of trust or care that he gives to me. So the question comes from this phrase, what do you need? What do you need? Or I could put it this way, what is your greatest need? And I'm talking to believers as well. What is your greatest need? Well, you said, well, maybe that's already been settled. But do you still have doubts? Do you still have worries? Do you still have concerns? Do you still have cares? Yeah. And so there's a need for a perfect and righteous and caring shepherd that I can lean on and trust even when the circumstances of life aren't any of those things. That's what I need. And so it's, it's calling us really to faith. Faith that the shepherd knows what he's doing and he's good in what he is doing. Psalmist goes on in verse 2 and he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. What does it take for you to lie down at night? Or I could put it this way. What does it take for you to actually get sleep at night? Have you ever had sleepless nights? What caused those? Your body or your mind? Those are usually the two things, right? And there's enough of both worry and aches to go around for everyone, right? And those can keep you up all night with, with all of those things. What does it take for a sheep to be able to lie down? Well, I'm taking this from the book that I recommended. And he says there's four things, as he's dealt with sheep, there's four things that a sheep needs before it's able to lie down, to be at rest, to, to be calm. The first thing is that it has to be free of fear, right? If a sheep is skittish or afraid, there's no way that it's going to lie down. It has to be on alert, either to defend itself or usually to run, right? It has to be free of fear. But there's a second thing, and we may not all often think of this. Those of you working with animals may know this even more, but there needs, it needs to be free of relational friction, Say, relational friction, what in the world is that? Even sheep don't like each other sometimes. Even sheep get into spats with one another. 
even sheep have to work through those things, right? Now, obviously, it's not at the same level as you and I, but there's definitely parallels there, right? To be able to lie down in this green pasture, or if we would apply it to ourselves, to be at rest, there actually needs to be at rest, not just with the circumstances, the fears that are around us, but actually our relationships with one another. So that there's not friction, that there's not unforgiveness, that there's not uh, bitterness or resentment towards one another. The idea here is to be at rest, is to be free of those things. And who brings that about? Well, well, freedom of fear is the shepherds right there. (laughs) That brings me freedom from that. Relational friction, does the shepherd ever step in? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll see that in a little bit when we talk about rod and staff. But yes, the shepherd steps in, and it's the same in our lives too. The fourth thing, or the third thing, I only gave you two, right? Freedom from fear, relational friction. Third thing, freedom from flies and parasites. I don't know if you've experienced or had a pet with, with fleas or uh, any of those uh, things that even would attack humans like mosquitoes or chiggers or ticks. Lovely things to talk about, right? All of those bugs seem to like me. We'll say it's my blood type, skin type, whatever. Yeah, swell up really bad and I always get the most of them of anyone it seems like. And what do you do then? You itch and you squirm just thinking about it, right? So the sheep needs to be free of these things, the flies, the parasites. How is a sheep free from that? Well, I guarantee you the sheep that was out in the desert I spoke of earlier, they had to shave, you know, 75 pounds of wool, probably had some of those issues. He wasn't taking care of them himself. We're going to see at the end, it comes from the shepherd again. He's the one that frees us of all these little gnats or disturbances, or you could say just the everyday in and out circumstances of life, right? Do you have any gnats in your ointment today? (laughs) Are there any flies in your crock pot today is another way to put it. Anything messing up your life that's just a little thing, but it gets under your skin or bites your skin a lot. That's the idea here. And to lie down in green pastures is the idea to be free of even those little things. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be flies, right? (laughs) Fly season comes, there are flies, right? I learned that the first year we moved here. (laughs) We learned that fly tape is an appropriate way to decorate your dining room. (laughs) It's worth it. The fourth thing the sheep needs to be able to lie down would be to be free from hunger. Amen, we're Baptists, right? (laughs) We're going to eat here in a little bit. Free from hunger. You have to have the basic needs met. But for us, it even goes beyond that. Remember what Christ said? He said, I am the bread of life. In other words, he gives a spiritual satisfaction to the yearning in in everyone's heart that there, there has to be a God. There must be a God. I know some people suppress or deny that. Everyone, Ecclesiastes mentions the idea of eternity being in our hearts they realize it can't just be that just this life. That doesn't make any sense, you know, that this all happened randomly. And yet here we are. There's evidence of a creator and creation and cognitive thought and all of these things. There has to be more. And yet Christ said, I'm the only one that can satisfy those longings of your soul. I'm the only one that can bring spiritual bread 
to your problem of, of desperate starvation, of hunger, when it comes to your, to your spiritual life. So to lie down in green pastures, notice where they are. They're in the middle of a green pasture. That means what? There's plenty of things to eat, right? It's a good place to be in the shepherd's care. But I'm actually lying down there because I'm free of fear. I'm free of the relational friction. I'm free of the flies and gnats and parasites. And I'm free from hunger. So the question from this phrase comes, are you free of those things today in your own life? Because the good and loving shepherd, the Lord, wants to give you freedom in those areas. It doesn't mean that he takes those things away. It means he gives us grace in the middle of those things. Last part of verse 2, he leadeth me beside still waters. This is a physical need, right? You need food, you need water. He leads me beside the still waters. Not waters that are going to scare us sheep away but ones that are, that are calm and accessible by a sheep. Christ echoes this as well. Remember, Christ said he is the great shepherd, John 10. But he also goes to this idea of water. Remember when Christ stood up in the midst of all the Jews? This is at Jerusalem during one of their feasts. And he says, if any man thirsts, you know, I am that living water. He also said this same idea to the women at the well. That Christ is the living water, the one who gives life, sustains life, not just physical life, but eternal life. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Many times in the Psalms, David is talking with himself. Do you ever do that? (laughs) And really preaching to himself. And remember this phrase that he says quite a few times, I believe. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And how does he often end? Hope in God. So he asks this question. That's that, that idea of I'm cast down. This is actually a term they use for sheep who are on their back. It's a cast down sheep. Now a sheep in that position needs some help. <laughs> It can be attacked, right? It can't really do anything on its own. It's helpless on its back. And that's the idea or what shepherds would call a cast-down sheep. And what does it mean to restore them or this idea of restoring my soul? It means to take that sheep who's upside down, flailing on their back, and to put them right back side up, right? To put them back so that they can get up and walk. So when it says, God restores my soul... Even in times of emotional and spiritual turmoil, God is the one who puts us back up, who keeps us, who holds us, who gives us the strength. But not only that, he restores my soul. He puts me back up when I, when I fall, when I get on my back. He leadeth me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So where's the path that we're going on? It's called the path of righteousness. Now, as you look down that path, is the path of righteousness paved asphalt that is flat with plenty of room? I wouldn't say that that's usually how I would think of the paths of righteousness. We'll see later on in verse 4 that this path of righteousness leads right into the valley of the shadow of death. 
In other words, this is rocky. This is mountainous. This can, this can be dangerous. It can be hard. But it's the right path. Why? Because the good shepherd is the one leading you on it. Yesterday, I had the privilege of, for the very first time, going snowshoeing. I grew up in Kansas. First of all, it's flat there. Second of all, we don't get that much snow. But Randy took me and then Sean Boise as well. And thankfully, he, he went easy on us. He chose a pretty flat along the side of a mountain trail for us to go on. He's also kind enough to let me borrow snowshoes. There were a couple of people out there without them, so you can guess what they were doing, pulling their feet up out of several feet of snow. Hey, that's one way to get your workout in. That's okay. Um, but, but through that, <clears throat> you'll notice that today I might be walking with a little bit of a limp. That's because I'm not as young as I used to be, even though I'm young. I realize that, okay? But it still affects me, right? Walking on that side mountain. I feel a little bit in my hip right now, you know? So it wasn't the easiest path ever. To be honest, the hardest part was getting down from the parking lot to the path. But it was hard, okay? I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but it takes some energy, right, to do that, to go along a path. Well, here, walking through the paths of righteousness is something that both the good shepherd is leading us on that path, but it's also on a path with a purpose. Notice the end of verse 3. It's for his name's sake. In other words, the reason he's taking us where he takes us in life is really for his name to be glorified. It's for his name's sake. Whenever God's name is mentioned, it's talking about who he is, his character, all that God is. And it's talking about God's name's sake. It's for his name's glory. Are there names that we know in our culture that we would attribute glory to in some way or that our culture would? And I think of, you know, sports figures or, or music idols that people would know. And you say, yeah, that's a name. We give glory in a sense to them, humans do, because they're either really good at this one thing we call them even the goat, not the sheep, but the goat, which stands for the greatest of all time in different sports or whatever. And we attribute no glory to their namesake because of what they are able to accomplish in throwing you know, a piece of leather around a grass field. And yet here, God, he's saying, I'm taking my sheep, and I'm taking them on a path of righteousness, and it's not always an easy path or a pleasant path, but it's the right path, and I'm doing it so both the sheep and I will, will, will know something more about each other. We'll grow closer together and so that my name will be glorified. And that's the blessing of knowing God as your shepherd. Do we live in a sin-cursed world? Absolutely, yeah. The effects of sin are all around us. Does it stink to live in a sin-cursed world? Absolutely. There are heartaches, heartbreaks, all the things that we have to go through. But yet the good shepherd is leading us through all of these things for his glory's sake, and as we'll see in the end, for eventual home with him forever. And then it turns to verse 4, where while I'm on this path, and it's a planned route, and one that the shepherd knows, I also walk through the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Why would a shepherd take his sheep through the valley? What's in the valley? Well, there's water, but that's also usually the path you have to take to get to the higher grounds or the higher meadows where the good grass is certain times of the year. You would have to rotate the sheep. In other words, sheep are creatures of habit. They're going to stay in one spot and eat all of that grass right there unless you move them somewhere else. And what happens when they eat all the grass right there? 
lets ground that is ripe for things like parasites, and the grass doesn't come back, so they don't have food right there. So even my father-in-law has to do this. He has separate fields that are sectioned off that he'll rotate the sheep around in, so they have that fresh grass. And so leading them to that even happens through the valley of the shadow of death. And what is he talking about? Well, if you're a sheep and you're going through a valley, what is that, sh- that shadow of death? Well, there's dangers all through the valley, right? There's wild animals that want to eat you as a sheep. <laughs> and that's not a good ending. The illustration uh, this, this shepherd gives is one of a cougar that would often take sheep out in his flock. And you know what? He never found the cougar or any any tracks or signs of it, really, what did he find? He found a dead sheep that was opened up. Usually the liver was eaten out of it because that's what they like. And that was a distinctive sign that there was a cougar that had attacked that sheep. So it's a sneaky, deadly animal that wants to take out the sheep. And what is the good shepherd doing? He's leading us right through that valley. Right through that hard time. You say, what kind of good shepherd is that? Well, notice the first part of this verse is the first time the personal word of I is used. In other words, the sheep realizes the personal relationship, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, there's this great trust showed here that the, the shepherd knows what he's doing and he's leading me through these tough circumstances. What else is in this valley? Well, it's not just the wild animals. There could be avalanches, rock slides. There could be hail. There could be flood that rise there. And yet through all of that, the good shepherd is leading along. And what does the sheep say? Well, the end of verse four says, I, I walk, but I will fear no evil. I won't fear that any of these things are going to happen to me in a way that's detrimental to me. And why is that? For thou art with me. Here's the reason the sheep has such confidence walking through this valley. It's not because they're doing it alone. It's because the shepherd's right there. The shepherd's right with them. Now, I'm not preaching that nothing bad will ever happen in your life. Because we have... Several things we can call bad that have recently happened, right? And yet the shepherd is still right there and still doing it for his name's sake and for a purpose and for his glory and is still good through that. Because this isn't all that we have. This isn't the ultimate end of man is just to live this life and to die and that's it. There's eternity in view. And when you know the good shepherd... Eternity is a wonderful thing that makes this little blip of a life and all of the trials and circumstances seem like nothing in comparison. And not only that, the good shepherd, Christ himself, is the one who bore the greatest punishment of that valley of the shadow of death. He bore the sins of you and me that we deserve that actually condemn us to everlasting death, separation from the good shepherd, He bore that and conquered death. So that even death itself doesn't have power over us. Now, it stings a little, right? It hurts a little right now. 
But in the end, it will be worth it all, right? As Jolinda played. So that's why I fear no evil, for thou art with me. In the last part of verse 4, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is a rod? What is a staff? Well, these are two distinct tools that a shepherd would use. The rod is really an extension of one's arm. You can think of it as a club. And what does a club give you as a shepherd? It gives you two things. It gives you the ability to protect the sheep, and it gives you the ability to correct the sheep. (laughs) Now, we like that protection part a lot, right? There the shepherd is with a club, taking out the the bad animals that would come up against me, and it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of power and strength and might that God is able to protect his sheep. But that's not the only thing a shepherd would use that rod for. You know who else he'd use it on? The sheep. Remember we talked about the relational frictions that happen? For, and that has to be, the sheep has to be free from that to lie down. The rod would be used when the sheep ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? I don't know if your mom ever told you that and you ever felt the rod of your earthly shepherds at all. But that was always a sign of love in that correction. So the rod is something of protection, but also correction. And more often than not, it was used as correction because there's a lot more things to correct usually than predators to fend off in the typical life of a sheep. So the good shepherd in his goodness is doing this. He's protecting, but he's correcting the sheep. But there's also the staff. The staff is a tool that is is specifically designed for sheep. In other words, you don't use a a, a staff on cows, right? You don't use them on chickens. It's designed for the size and shape of a sheep. And what is it? It it has a hook on the end. It's what we're most familiar with when you think of a shepherd. And it's used most often to draw the sheep near you as a shepherd, to pull them in or even to rescue them. And it has the idea of comfort and drawing a sheep close to you. And there's many reasons you might need to draw a sheep close to you. It could be one of those new moms, those new ewes that have just lambed and they're skittish and they're not sure how to take It it slipped off back here. I'm sorry. My coat hit it. I'll put this in my front pocket now. It could also be to um, draw a sheep close to to protect, uh, to check it out. You know, to go over it, make sure there's no parasites or 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 other things that are wrong with it. So it's it's really the desire of a, a shepherd drawing close to care very tenderly and intimately with a specific sheep that needs to be cared for. So the rod and the staff, they both comfort in what they're able to do. And this is what God does for us as well, right? He comforts, he protects, he corrects. That's, that's part of his love for his children, his sheep. So this is our good shepherd. And then verse 5. Some people take verses 5 and 6 as, as a shift. Like you had the sheep in the first part, and then it shifts to the scene of maybe a, a king or throne room or people But the shepherd that wrote this book I recommended actually says, no, this whole psalm is actually about about this. And he gives some, I think, some compelling reasons. So I'm going to give those because 
it, it continues in the same theme of still a sheep looking at his shepherd. And when he says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, he says that's really actually referring to, and we use this, a table, when we talk about landscape, we even have a table rock, right? What is a table? What's another word we'd normally use? We'd use the word plateau, right? It would be an upper elevation meadow. And that, that could be the idea here. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You're taking me through the paths of righteousness up the valley of the shadow of death. And where am I going to, where are we going to? We're going to this plateau, this green grassy meadow up in the higher elevations where there's, there's lots of grass. It had the moisture it needed and it's growing strong and there's plenty of food up there. And it's even in the presence of my enemies. What happens when the sheep go up to higher elevations? The predators have to go up too, right? To find their food. So that's even in the presence of my enemies that he does all of this. But he's preparing this table, or you could look at it from the sheep's view. We would call it a feast, right? It's all the good green grass I could ever possibly eat. And he's prepared all of this, even though it's right where the predators are going to be. But remember, his rod is already there too. So he prepares this table, this place of eating, even with enemies. And then he does this while you're up there. He's, he's now led us all the way up to the high pastures where it's safe as far as the food is concerned. And it's safe because he's there protecting us from the enemies around us. And what does he do? Well, he takes his staff, he would, and anoints my head with oil. Why would a shepherd use oil? This is how you get rid of the flies. This is how you get rid of the parasites. They would actually use oil, even in David's time, to do these things. It was medicinal, in a sense, to care for and to uh, keep the sheep's skin healthy and free from all of that. It's the fly treatment, the protection. And you anoint my head with oil, and it, it, the idea of my cup running over, I mean, that's what they would often do. Where, where do a lot of these flies and gnats go to? Well, they go to the face and ears of the animal, right? That's where the skin is most exposed. And so my cup runneth over. I'm being, you know, doused in this oil is the idea. There's no, there's no shortage of it. God has plenty of it to care for his people. And so the sheep, you see, has made a progression from down low at the still waters, through the paths of righteousness, up through the, the valley of the shadow of death, now is in the high grass lands and is, is protected and it's been taken care of. So if you go back to verse 2, remember he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. What were the four things that a sheep needs to lie down? It needs to be free of fear. Well, we've already gone through that. I'm free from that. He's protected me from that. He has his rod. Free from relational friction. Rod came in again, took care of those things. Free from flies, the oil is right here. I'm free from that. Free from hunger, the table is set before me. The plateau is full of grass. I have everything I need. So then the sheep can end with verse 6. The psalmist ends with verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is another one of those timeout moments. Remember at the beginning we said, I shall not want. And we would say, wait a minute, wait. You don't have anything you need? Well, this is kind of one of those statements again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wait a minute, does that mean no bad things will ever happen? No, 
Goodness and mercy, what are those? Those are characters, attributes of God that he displays towards his people. So what is he saying? God's goodness, God's mercy is going to be with me and follow me and be a part of my life all the time. So it doesn't matter where I am, I can trust and rest in these simple facts. God's goodness never changes and God's mercy is always the same. And then it comes to this thought too. It's undeserved, right? The shepherd doesn't have to do this for his sheep. The shepherd doesn't have to be a good shepherd, but yet our God is. Our God is one who loved us first, right? We love him because he first loved us. Our God is one who sent Christ even when we spat in his face. Our God is one who wants to rescue us from our own sin and the consequences of it, even though it's our choices that led us there, right? So it's undeserved. And it's all the days of my life. In other words, it's a testimony of the sheep that God's goodness and mercy were always there. So it comes to these questions. How do you view God? Is he a good and loving shepherd in your mind? Because that's who he is. Now, I understand that may not be how you view him, but that's who he is. But also begs this question, even of believers, of what do you leave behind? Do you you leave behind a life that shows, that testifies of God's goodness and mercy in your heart, in your life? All the days of my life. And he ends with this sweet phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the shepherd would take this word house and just see it's, it's part of the flock. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step it up a notch here and say that the house is actually where the sheep end up, in the master's house. And this is something that is highly unusual. In other words, how many of you keep chicken or sheep or cows in your house? Yeah, we don't really do that in our culture anymore, right? We, we think we're a little cleaner than that. And yet, I believe this is where the sheep end up. Now, this is happening with my father-in-law right now. They, they had, uh, it was a goat, not a, a sheep, but the mom gave birth to triplets. Two of them didn't make it. There's the one left, and the mom rejected it. So where is that goat right now? When I video call them, it's on their house. It's in their house, on the couch, on my father-in-law's lap, wetting his shirt. So that, that's what happened last time we called. That's where that baby goat is right now. It's in his house. Why? Because he's having to take care of it. He's having to be the mom. They're having to bottle feed it and, and do all of that. So the goat is in the master's house. Now, there's a theological problem there. It's just the sheep that are going to get in the master's house in the end, okay? Not the goats. God divides those out. That was just an illustration. So in the end, though... We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of this shows the close and loving relationship and the high status of eternity. It's something we don't deserve, but yet we're in the house of the Lord, the house of the good shepherd. And with that, it brings contentment. There's no desire to change. I wouldn't want to go to anyone else's house, right? I wouldn't want to end up anywhere else. I want my place in heaven. 
but it also shows a personal relationship or fellowship with the shepherd. So as we look at this psalm, both believer and unbeliever, the question is, who is your shepherd? Who is your good shepherd? Are you following the good one? The call is, if you do not know him as your good shepherd, to come to him today in faith, asking him to save you from your sin and to give you eternal life that he promises to all who will believe. And the encouragement then is to believers is, are you living in faith, following after this good shepherd, realizing this is who he is and what he's doing for you, even through the shadow of death? God is good.